Hello everyone, I hope you are well. I'm Carlos Carnicero Uravallen and I want to welcome you all to Future is Blue, a series of podcasts bringing together top experts from academia and think tanks to discuss the most pressing European economic and policy challenges of today. This is a Funkas Europe initiative and we hope we can bring new ideas for a more inspiring debate about Europe. Today we're here to talk about one of the hottest and more important economic topics of these days and I'm referring to the EU and China relations and how Brussels and the 27 capitals need to get it right when it comes to having a fruitful and beneficial China economic and trade policy. We're back in our podcast series partnering with the Center for European Reform and this means that we have Sander Tordoir, senior economist at this think tank, back with us today to talk about China. Hello, Sandro. Welcome back. How are you doing? Hi, Kyle. It's great to be here. Excellent. Uh, welcome back. And, and let me introduce our regular voice in this show, Raymond Torres, Funkas Europe Director. Hello. How are you doing, Raymond? I'm very well. How are you, Carlos? I'm good. I'm good. I'm very excited about covering this topic with you two today. And um, I, th I thought, Sander, we could start with some basics here and perhaps we can recap a bit and explain to our audience why is the trade and economic relationship with China so vital these days for the EU? Uh, great question, Carlos. Uh, I think essentially the centrality of the EU-China relation stems from the, the massive trade relation that's there. And the tensions that have erupted are in part driven by the U.S. because the U.S. has uh, opted to de-risk uh, from China. That means that with the Inflation Reduction Act, they're trying to build up their own supplies of green tech manufacturing. Um, it's not a decoupling in that sense, uh, but it's a sectoral decoupling, if you will. So in some sectors like car batteries, uh, electric vehicles and other parts, they're trying to distance themselves from their China dependence. And that has prompted a big debate also in Europe on our import dependencies. Uh, Raymond, would you, would, you, would you like to react to what Sander just said? And he was touching on the, uh, the interests of Washington and the interests of Brussels. What are your thoughts on, on that? Yes, I think uh, the, it's, it's unthinkable that um, Europe um, manages to, to have a, a successful digital transition or a green transition without a productive relationship with China, because China is a, a, a very important a leader in those two sectors. And also uh, the uh, trade, as, as Sander was saying, the trade relationship with Sander is very important, uh, not only in general, but in particular with respect to the green and digital transition. So if we want to be successful in those transitions, we need to build a good relationship with China. And I would add the third element, which is the geopolitical element, which is that uh, Europe and China must build a relationship on their own. We cannot simply rely uh, on the, our very good relationship, you know, historical relation with, with the US. We need to build our own uh, structure and uh, relations 
with uh, what is going to be very soon the number one economy in the world, which is China. Absolutely. So I wanted to ask you about the the large and growing imbalances with China, including in high-tech sectors. Is Europe overall still competitive with the Asian superpower? Sander, what do you think? So China is our uh, third largest export market for goods, and it's our, um, our largest supplier, foreign supplier of goods. So about 21% of EU imports of goods come from China and about 9% of our exports. Now, coming back a bit to these green technology sectors of the future, electric vehicles, batteries, wind turbines, etc. Uh, I recently did some work with my colleague John Springford to look at the EU's competitiveness. And the story is a bit counter to some of the panic that's been going around the capitals of the EU, because both China and the EU have actually won global market share uh, across 220 clean tech or low carbon technologies. And if you look at some of the areas that are of largest concern, like electric vehicles and batteries or wind turbines, uh, you see that, that the effect of distance on trade is growing. So basically, if you trade across long distances, the penalty to that is going up. And that suggests that the EU did import a lot of these things from China. Uh, for example, more than I think 90% of our solar panels come from there. Um, but in these more high-tech areas, the EU will probably provide quite a lot of what it needs itself to decarbonize because there's a penalty to distance. So it makes sense to uh, provide some of the products locally. Now, there are, there are real concerns. So, for example, if you look at the automobile market, which is Germany's leading sector, um, it's clear that we are basically unable to export to China because of all the trade barriers they impose on us. They're not really like tariffs, they're not really in your face, but for example, they have a lot of local content requirements for electric vehicles. That means they're biased in favor of local production. So Volkswagen built in Germany is pretty hard to sell in China because it doesn't capture any subsidies. A Volkswagen built in a Chinese factory in China for China will be able to capture it. And so you see an, a growing imbalance there where even though the EU is becoming a net exporter of electric vehicles, we're not exporting anything to China. It's, it's completely flat. Whereas China is rapidly becoming one of the largest car exporters in the world. And it's, it's close to or has already overtaken Germany. And it's threatening Japan's uh, top at the spot there. So there are some real tensions coming from that. Raymond, how, how do we deal with these imbalances? It doesn't seem to be very fair that we have so many difficulties exporting certain types of products to, to China. Yes, yes. So if you compare, uh, if you compare the external balance with China before the pandemic and today, well, it was always imbalanced. In other words, we always ran a deficit vis-à-vis -vis China but it has been multiplied by a factor of 2.5 uh, between the, 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 the years 2015-2019 and today. And, and much of this deterioration of the external imbalance uh, between uh, the uh, Europe and, um, and the EU, more specifically, and China, has to do with the uh, deficit in, in high technology and green technology and cars sectors 
not really uh, low tech or low value added sector. So I think it's quite uh, quite an issue. I think there are various dimensions to it. In some cases, China has reinforced its industrial policy and has uh, acquired a leading edge in, in some particular products, for example, electric cars. And it has uh, it technologically it has advanced so much that it, it, it seems difficult in the short term to catch up with China. And probably there we will have to rely on, on a mutual, mutually beneficial relationship. In other cases, there, there may be issues of uh, external support or subsidies, import content uh, or, 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 or domestic content uh, of, of subsidies in, in China. In other words, it's not a level playing field with China supporting its industry, whereas uh, in a way the EU is playing the multilateral game. And in, in this latter case, I think it's, uh, it's an issue for Europe to realize that we are no longer in the multilateral system that we thought we were. Uh, this has changed and is no longer uh, a completely open system. And we have to build uh, a bilateral relationship with China in order to address those micro issues in particular sectors, which are, which are damaging competitiveness in, in, in an unfair manner. And I, would, I distinguish that vis-a-vis -vis what I said before, or other things where China has acquired a, a leading edge as, as much as we have a leading edge in other sectors. So, Sandra, do you, do you agree with that, what Raymond is saying, that rather than playing the multilateral game, it's more beneficial to go for a bilateral uh, approach and bilateral negotiations to deal with those matters with China? I, I very much share the analysis. I, I would maybe make it a trilateral one, because I think we also have to keep, uh, keep our ties to Washington quite close. I think the, the Americans are facing similar issues to ours. The difference is that there is a, a sort of narrative or perhaps a group of influential people in the US that have another goal in mind, which is to keep China's development back because they see it as their uh, fundamental global competitor. I think that dimension of it, the more geopolitical or sort of aggressive uh, superpower dynamic is one that Europe probably doesn't share. But in terms of some of these micro serious issues in certain sectors and markets, I think the US is a bit ahead of us in terms of recognizing them and trying to level the playing field, sometimes with pretty heavy handed measures. And so to think it through across the Brussels, Beijing, Washington axis is probably the most productive approach for the, for the EU. Um, wanted to ask you about the the, the lack of competitiveness of European uh, economies vis-a-vis -vis China, I, th I don't think it all can be explained due to the unfair trade practices that we discussed before. Yes, I think that uh, the, um, I mean, the, the, the Europe certainly has some comparative advantage, uh, especially it has strong points, strong assets in terms of its uh, education system, the European engineers are really excellent uh, to the point that, that they, <laughs> they, they actually uh, are, are in high demand in other, in other parts of the world, in, including the US and certainly in China. Uh, we have excellent uh, universities. We also have uh, a certain social, we have social stability, in other words, as, as, as still a social contract, which uh, you know, allows to have more harmonious rela relations 
Uh, and, and these are all very, very strong positive points. Uh, but I think what uh, we miss in terms of competitiveness is uh, a, a bit of a vision and it has to come from, I think, from the centre, from the European, at the European level, at the European Commission, at the EU level, in terms of guiding the markets. I think we have strong, uh, still, you know, strong uh, footholds in particular sectors. We have a strong education, but we need to guide the market in order to seize the benefits, the advantages uh, that, that we have. And for that, we need, uh, we have this uh, strategic autonomy view uh, but so far it has not uh, translated into something concrete and i think we need to define particular a bit that a bit uh, being humble in uh, like us or china has done has identified a number of priority areas and we need to play smart here uh, taking into account we need at the same time competition and not simply uh, selecting uh, particular stars but simply, uh, you know, we need to uh, admit competition, but still guiding markets and trying to privilege particular uh, sectors or activities which are important for the future of Europe. And that is missing at the moment. We neglected that for decades, and that's probably the missing part. Can I just uh, add one more thing? So I, I think the, the key word here is European. So I think one of the big risks for Europe today is one of its own making. In addition to all the strengths that Raymond mentioned, one of our most prized possessions is the European single market, which is driving so much innovation, growth, competition. And that's the kind of competition that we want, right? It's intra-European competition that makes us all better off. And the risk that I see today is that Germany and France have negotiated and pushed for being able to provide more subsidies to firms, but there's no European money to even out uh, the stakes and the, the playing field for the other countries. And some of those countries are small or don't have deep pockets. And so I think that's a, quite a big danger that we basically disrupt the single market by having massive asymmetries in subsidies and thereby actually undermining ourselves in the global competition with, with the US and China. We touched on this briefly before, but I think this is one of the key areas and the key questions to have a successful uh, China policy for Europe, and is whether or not the Brussels can have an autonomous policy um, without going hand by hand with the US, because I think the, the incentives for Washington and the incentives for Brussels are not always the same when it comes to a China policy. Uh, Sander, what, what are your views on that? I, I mean, I would say that we probably want to remain a bit more open to China than the US. And that's also in America's interest, because if Europe remains a bit more open to business for China, it may actually moderate some of their, uh, let's say, more, more dangerous instincts and could moderate the Pacific relationship between the two superpowers. At the same time, my, my preference would be that we seek a bit more of a close trade relationship with the US difficult as that may be, and align a little bit more with the US in terms of arming ourselves a bit against some of the subsidies and dodgy trade practices and, and non-reciprocal market access that the Chinese have been laying on the Europeans for quite some time. And where, for example, in the car market, I think there's real auto angst coming for Europe and it's not entirely because of purely competitive forces. And so 
uh, I would say that's where the balance needs to be for Europe. Yes, I think Europe has an interesting um, uh, role to play here in between these two, the US and, and China uh, superpowers. Uh, the, the, in order to remain a superpower itself, the EU, and being able to maintain its social model and to maintain its pr prosperity, I think it can, it can play a game of, at the same time, uh, you know, with, with respect to China, build um, uh, reciprocity, and in particular in terms of long-term goals, such as uh, the fight against climate change, I think here there are some common elements. And I think a common interest uh, in, in, in between these two, and with, with respect to the U.S. with a you know historical relationship, I think the idea of a rules-based uh, uh, relationship, in other words, uh, trying to move a little bit away from the present situation where the rules are breached everywhere, in, and rebuild a multilateral system, which is more realistic and allows for all the things we were saying before is something which is going to be very complex but uh, something which probably we share with the united states as well so i think in between the two we can play this broker type of uh, role and to, to much to benefit of the europeans themselves that's a, that's an excellent point to finish this uh, conversation we really need to be competitive ourselves to have a good and fruitful relationship with china um, I would like to thank you both. I think this was a great talk. Um, let me remind our audience that we just talked to Sander Tordoir, who's Senior Economist at the Center for European Reform. Thank you for being with us today, Sander. Thanks so much. And as you know, Raymond Torres is Funka's Europe Director. Thank you, Raymond. Thank you very much. Enjoy the conversation. Thank you all for joining. This was all for now. We will come back soon with more exciting speakers on Europe's economic and policy-related key debates. Future is Blue is a Funcas Europe initiative. I'm Carlos Carnicero Ravallen, and if you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to recommend it to others and share it on social media. Thank you all and stay well.